I'm Adam Rappaport. Welcome to the Bon Appetit Foodcast, where we talk food, drink, and all sorts of delicious stuff with all sorts of interesting people. Today, I'm joined by senior food editor, Allison Roman. Hi. And we are joined by special guest, Gerardo Gonzalez, chef and co-owner of downtown New York's El Rey Luncheonette. How you doing, Gerardo? Great. Thank you for having me. Well, thank you for joining us, guys. Well, it's January 2015, so that means we're talking about healthy eating because we have not been eating healthy for the last month, have we? No, certainly not. But it starts now right here, so let's get going. Gerardo, you showed up with a box of these, like, snowy green things. Allison, what would you call them? I, they look like snowballs, like those old-school pink and white Yeah, but these, are, but these are green and white square snowballs. What the hell are they? These are uh, the El Rey version of all that, which means they're spirulina. Um, which is? Spirulina is an algae. It's a superfood. It's got a very vegetal kind of taste on its own, but combined with the magic of dates and almonds and uh, coconut, you know, this is a good alternative to like a cookie. It's got sweetness and it's got substance, I guess. Are these baked at all or are they no, just kind of pressed together? they're actually raw. So they are um, technically paleo and they're raw and uh, vegan. Wow, that's cool. We actually have a whole spread in our January issue on cool bars. Allison, as a pastry gal, what's your take on the whole bar movement? I think it's great. I think what Gerardo's saying and sort of the magic of dates especially is like very, very powerful, the way that it binds things and it sort of sets. It doesn't really melt. You don't have to bake with it. But then it's like, okay, what other dried fruits can we use? You can use figs and prunes and, you know, apricots and things like that in a similar fashion without they provide sort of the binding element that you would find with egg and butter and flour that you'd have to bake. Yeah. Um, but they're sort of the all-in-one because they give you sweetness and they do the binding thing and they they hold their shape really well and they're not temperature sensitive. We have chocolate coconut date bars, kind of like the spirulina bars, but in that coconutty vibe. We've got crunchy cashew sesame bars and seedy cherry quinoa bars. And I think what's great about these is that you can make a batch in the beginning of the week. You can take them to work with you at that sort of 3.30 p.m. sort of moment where you're low blood sugar and you need to snack on something and you don't necessarily want to go to the vending machine. And mm. Gerardo, so interestingly with this issue, last year we decided that, you know what, as a staff, we're really digging like everything from quinoa to farro to all that good healthy stuff, not because it's healthy, but just because it's delicious. And then this year we noticed that a lot of restaurants like El Rey were sort of cooking in this style. And let's make delicious food that sure is good for you, but I think delicious is the key word first. I think that's the main point behind it. It's trying to strive for flavors and kind of just happens to be healthy. I don't think we necessarily set out from the first day when we were planning out what the menu was going to be that it would turn into something that kind of fell in line with this. And um, it's actually really nice to see other restaurants kind of independently coming to this conclusion that it's really just clean, simple food. Yeah, I feel like uh, even beyond different flavors and why, how that drives you and what you're making, it's visually stunning. And there's, you know, the pickled watermelon radishes and, like, all the different seeds and textures and things like that. Yeah. So it, It's colorful. It's beautiful. I'm just looking at the menu right now. Jicama salad with cucumber, peanuts, and sour plum sauce. Avocado with a chimichurri, hickory smoked sea salt, and these, those cool little pickled like uh, shallots, like kind pickled of, red onions, pickled yeah. red onions on top. Um, it was funny. I had lunch there about a month ago, and at the end of the meal, I was just like, "Wait, was that meal vegetarian?" Like, 
I, I, it didn't even, it was like I devoured everything from this grain bowl with kale and there was some pickled egg in there. Mm. There was also a frittata sort of thing going on. There was like a cool sort of falafel that you guys sort mm-hmm. of do on a flatbread. It was all just such indulgent, delicious food. And it never occurred to me that A, it's quote unquote healthy or B, that it was whether or not it had meat in it. It was funny because uh, when we first did the menu, it's usually you have the V for like vegetarian or vegan. We were just going to do M for whenever we had meat. One thing I think is unique about this place, El Rey is it's tiny. There's you behind a counter, and that's the quote-unquote kitchen. Mm-hmm. There's probably about, I don't know, 15 seats or so. It's about 300 square feet. Yeah, and there's a coffee bar that also serves some beer and other little things. Mm-hmm. But it's amazing the quality of food and the amount of food that sort of comes out of that kitchen. Well, the menu definitely is a product of the size and space of El Rey. I always call it like my first kitchen or something like that. Just like <laughs> this little tiny play kitchen area where um, it really just dictates uh, the type of cuisine that comes out of there, um, which is like spice driven. And like you try to get these really big, bold flavors, but something that's really easy to kind of execute. For the home cook, give us a few techniques that you rely on. Because you like tiny kitchen, big, bold flavors. Like what are some of those tricks that you rely on? You know, I've been thinking about this recently and Two of the main things is uh, acid, just Mm -hmm. using all different types of vinegars, mainly lemon juice, though. Lemon juice and actually seasoned rice vinegar are the two main things. Again, it's like really clean. It's really subtle, but it's got a sweetness to it. So you kind of play on the natural sweetness of foods already. So you don't have to add sugar. You don't have to add honey or when you mix the farro with pecans and like coconut, and then you douse it in lemon vinaigrette. Yeah, I think with the, when, when you get those grain bowls with the farro and the nuts, it's just very substantive. And like I said, people always talk about the, like the meat of a nut, of a walnut or something. And, and nuts have a meaty quality um, mm. that those toasted coconut flakes you use are just addictive. Um, and they get a little salty. And like coconut doesn't have to be sweet. I think people no. always think of something like coconut as sweet. It doesn't have to be. Um, yeah, and then you bring that acid, whether it's, whether it's lemon juice doused over it or, or vinegar, it, just, it sort of enlivens That's it. the whole yeah. thing. Um, what about texture? Is, how much do you think texture, about texture? I mean, is is key as well. For instance, like the falafel is not actually a falafel. Um, it just happened to be that I have a small kitchen and I can't have a deep fryer. So it's a really good example of texture because you have this uh, really supple kind of like pita that we make in-house combined with chickpeas and avocado like mashed and spread over it. What we do is we like thinly shave cauliflower so it's crunchy and it kind of gives that textural like replacement for like mm-hmm. something that was fried. So yeah. that's like a good example of texture and and how you want to have a complete bite where yeah. it's like there's chew, there's crispiness to it, there's um, yeah. kind of a leafiness to it. I feel it. like that's why bowls in general have been so popular and why we love them. And, you know, the same thing with toast. It's like both those things, what they have in common is that you're putting a lot of different textures and flavors in a one vehicle, whether it's a piece of toast or a bowl. Yeah. You've got your creamy thing, your acidic thing, your spicy thing, your crunchy thing, all in one bite. And I feel like that way you want to basically eat the entire thing. At the same time, too, with bowls, um, I called it like culinary Tai Chi one time, where it's just like <laughs> as you're working your way through the bowl, you do get complete bites, but each bite is kind of different from the last one, depending on like what component is like falling. And if it all plays well together the whole time, 
I think that's what makes it a successful bowl. Yeah. And one thing I think with restaurants, you like yours, and for you listeners, if you don't know, we're talking about grain bowls, which are everywhere, whether it's farro or quinoa, and then some nuts and some vegetables and some greens and a poached egg or boiled egg somewhere on there. Um, you also kind of – you. Your the elements of the bowl are a little bit segregated at first, and the yep. user can mix them together yeah. if he or she wants, or you can sort of choose dip and dive for whatever bite you want to get. I think that's exactly what it is. So when I when I say you're working your way through the bowl, it's just like there's not really a perfect bite because every bite is kind of perfect in that way, where it's it, it's a little bit different. The the one key though, I think with Allison, and I think we see this with the home cook doesn't necessarily always get that when you're making a dish that's multi-part like that, you have to remember that you need to season every component really well. Oh, yeah. You and pretty aggressively. Yeah, yeah. Just like salt this, salt the lemon, uh, the vinaigrette. Not over salt, no. but just everything should have its own intrinsic it flavor. It just as good on its own as it yes. would in Ex- the bowl. Exactly. And I think that brings to the second trick that I have, which is um, spices. Mm-hmm. And that's the main thing that I think drives... Um, the food at El Rey is because you're trying to get as much flavor as possible in such a small space. The easiest thing you can do is just have um, really like nicely curated, I guess, spices that you have at your disposal, and you kind of like what and how do you use? Them? Okay, one example is uh, I love sumac and I love Aleppo. I love them separately, but together they're actually it's a really great combination. That reminds me of something that I grew up with um, in Mexico. There's that tahine seasoning which is essentially citric acid and just chili flakes. So it's like something that you probably don't want to eat a lot of all the time. This is almost like identical to it, and it's just like 100% natural. Like and, just, so the, and both are from the Middle East, more or less, sumac yes. and, and, and Aleppo peppers. And so what you'll just sprinkle them on something at the end? The falafel, or? yeah. Mm-hmm. I put them on um, usually on the end. It's, it's like when you're trying to get heat and... Um, kind of like a acidity, like a sourness from the spice. Any other spices you're digging? Yeah, I mean, days? I love uh, zatch. I mean, I love a lot of Middle Eastern ones. Mm-hmm. Zatar is another one that we use for the pita, which um, I don't know. It's just it. It kind of reminds me a lot of how I grew up in uh, Southern California and being very influenced by like Baja California. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of similarities between that and the Middle East and and the Mediterranean, yep. really. So the pita in particular. We make it with maseca flour, so it's got corn flour in it, um, honey, and when the yeast combined with that, there's something like really floral about it. You know, this month in the January issue of Bon Appetit, we have toast on the cover. It's been the year of toast. It's been like the topic of conversation. So when did a lot toast become a thing? It's. I feel like. I feel like when hasn't toast really been a thing, but I feel like it all started with the avocado toast, which well, we're all familiar with, maybe too familiar. Yes. Well, there's toast and then there's $6 toast. But that notion of interesting toppings on toast, interesting bread as toast, not just your typical white bread, you know, sourdough. Right. Um, but it, it's funny that, you know, toast is very much a thing and, and getting creative with the ingredients. And once again, it also comes back to what you were talking about earlier. It's like, Let's think about texture. Let's think about sweet and savory. You can do olive oil and something sweet, you know, with with great, you know, fresh mm-hmm. ripe figs and olive oil and salt on them. You can do honey with yogurt. I mean, there's all sorts of different ways to sort of get at it. Yeah, it's a blank canvas. It is toast. It's, it's like let it let the spirit guide you. You know, it's great. It's, what do you feel like this morning? It's like non-committal too. You can have little spreads all around <laughs> and just put some put it on bread and. Um, You're good to go. Let's talk about something you mentioned prior, um, Allison. You created, uh, developed recipe, developed a story in the new issue on sweet-ish desserts. Sweet-ish, and the yes. notion that listen, dessert. We're not going to say it's 
good for you per se, but there's a lot of desserts now that have a lot of really interesting new ingredients that are at least nutritious and substantive. And just talk about how you right. as a, a dessert person develop those recipes. Well, I feel like it's more about boosting the nutritional value rather than diminishing the things in it like sugar and butter that are already in there that make it delicious. And it's also about eating less of it. Let's be honest. Like when you, you know, making when you're making sticky buns, not making them the size of your head, you know, make them have that size. Um, but you know, using coconut oil instead of butter, using dates instead of sugar, mm-hmm. um, adding nut butters to things instead of extra other fats. A lot of interesting flours out there now instead of yeah. just typical white flour, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah, spelt flour is one of my favorite ones. It is a wheat flour, but. Um, has a high nutritional value and a ton more flavor. Like you can always taste it. We also do a you do a chocolate rye crumb cake in the current issue. Yeah, what's that up is with, awesome. What's up with the rye flour? It's great, and if you can find uh, some really good, uh, like freshly milled rye flour, or people that are kind of doing that in smaller batches, it has this really awesome coarse texture, finer than a wheat bran, but coarser than flour, that gives like the crunch is insane. And it's almost like when you eat like a pecan sandy where it's that kind of buttery, it, mm. it kind of starts to fall apart. All right, let's talk about cacao nibs. Is it wait, do I say cacao? Do I, I say, say cocoa? cocoa nibs? I say cocoa nibs. But but it's spelled C A C A O. I've also seen it C O C O A. Mm. We'll get the fact checkers on this one. I mean, <laughs> okay. they, they seem to be to the dessert world what Aleppo pepper is to the savory world. Is that fair? They, they see That's people fair. People in dessert world also use Aleppo pepper, but Ooh, that said, that's true. And people in savory world use cocoa nibs, but it is the the hull of the of the cocoa pod. It is after the shell comes off, it's the hull, right? Correct me if I'm wrong. And it's not really sweet, as it kind of no. has a, a nice nutty quality. Yeah, it's very very dark in flavor, almost like a very bitter chocolate. It's not sweet at all. It's roasty because they yeah. roast them first and then they break them up. And the wonderful thing about cocoa nibs, especially with baking, is that they do not get soft, nope, really. Not at you all. You can fold them into cake batter. You can fold them into ice cream, and they will stay crunchy. And it's kind of magical. Gerardo, what about you? Do you, Are there any things you mentioned before, vegetables in your dessert? Or what? Is, what are yes. some things you like to do? My favorite one that we did a while back was um, it combines the toast, actually. So we did, like, the Japanese white bread. Um crusted it, like caramelized it, um, and then I would spread on it parsnip puree with cajeta, so like a goat's milk oh, wow. dulce de leche, and it was incredible. And it kind of reminded me of growing up, we would just put sweet and condensed milk on toast <laughs> or um, or just cajeta, like the caramel. So it, it really took me back. But I think what it comes down to is just flavor, really. It's like using these alternative flours or ingredients, and it's not to be weird and it's not to be... Uh, health conscious because these are like desserts, um, but it's really just to try something new and it just it hits on so much more flavor notes than you would ever expect. It's also it's just interesting. We 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 all eat carrot cake. Like sure, carrot cake, but you're like wait parsnips. That's crazy. And like no, and you know it's I think really more what it is than anything, especially when it comes to desserts, is that people are realizing that making pastries and desserts, it's just like regular cooking. Yeah. Where you need not just sweetness, but you need bitterness and saltiness, saltiness yeah. and you know richness and also you know crunch and texture. It's just like you would make 
you know, anything else. It needs to be seasoned yeah. properly and have diversity and be interesting. And but it's but it's fascinating. Not until the last few years, it seems, in restaurants did people even begin to pick up on that, oh, desserts can have salt in them. That, yeah. You know, they should be balanced also. They don't have to be overbearingly yes. sweet. Right. That, Like I said, you can put a little olive oil. You can have some salt See, on Bon there. Appetit Magazine, January issue 2012. Yes, exactly. Desserts should be as, as interesting and as balanced well, as anything savory. Yeah. People don't really want to eat, like, one note foods. And, you know, it's interesting, too, is because, like, coffee shops in the past, they all always had the same players, like, you know, like, um, really sweet muffins and dry scones and stuff like oh, yes. that. And, like, so this was my first time baking, actually, when starting at El Rey. Like, I'd never been a baker before, but um, I did have uh, the keys, I guess, to Nicholas, my Morgan Stern, business partner, who is a pastry chef, um, his, you know, file cabinet full of like all these old recipes. So it was just a really great test in like applying my uh, flavor profile to his recipes and kind of creating these things that are just like, yeah, we put Aleppo in our in our sweet potato bread. We um, use buckwheat in a lot of things. You know, it's just yeah. like those kind of. But, you know, I think that's awesome, though, you know, as a professional chef, People like you and Allison just having the confidence to trust your creativity and, and trust your sort of your flavor palette. Like, you know what? Um, this could work. Yeah, this this had this this would bring a, a city level. This will bring crunch. Mm-hmm. I'm going to put this in here, taking something that you know is already proven and true, and tweaking it and just tweaking enough it. to sort of reinvent it in an interesting way. Well, guys, thanks for joining us. Um, Gerardo, thank, thank you, you for coming up from the Lower East Side of New York at El Rey Luncheonette. Allison, thank you for coming up from the test kitchen. Hey, not a problem. So check out El Rey downtown New York. Check out all these recipes we've been talking about in the January issue of Bon Appetit or go to bonappetit.com and check out the new Healthy. We've got a bunch of videos, recipes, got it all. Welcome back to the Bon Appetit Podcast. I'm Adam Rappaport, and I am joined now by Sarah Dickerman, creator of the Bon Appetit Food Lovers Cleanse. Sarah, how are you doing? I'm doing great. I'm so excited to be getting going on this year's Food Lovers Cleanse. It's our fifth year. Yeah, this has been a hugely successful franchise for Bon Appetit. And, and just to give the, the listener a bit of a, a background, it's an article that appears in the magazine every January, and then we do an online portion where it's two weeks of cleansing and eating with you chiming in and giving advice and guidelines. But I guess the the bigger question, let's start from square one. You know, what is this Food Lovers Cleanse? Am I going to be drinking lemon water with cayenne for two weeks or or am I eating real food? That's a great question. And I have to say, I just believe so uh, fundamentally that the solution to sort of eating healthier is not to stop eating or to start only drinking liquids or to only eat grapefruit or anything like that. I think that the key to recalibrating the way you approach food is to take delicious meals and figure out a way to enjoy delicious meals that are maybe a little more restrained in one way or another or with a healthier ingredient than you might be eating at another time of year, but to really incorporate that into something that tastes delicious at every meal and to feel like you're eating consecutive, really nice meals that are satisfying. Yeah, and I I think stressing sort of moderation and and being sensible. You had a funny introduction to your piece last year, you said, I am a hedonist. I mark the holidays with rib roasts and bourbon balls. But you you make the point that this is not about losing weight or going to extremes. It's about 
feeling better, correct? Yeah, I think I think it's really just about you know you know that feeling you have when you just you've been traveling and you just haven't eaten vegetables for a week. I know it, it's called it's, it's called Paris. <laughs> exactly, and you're just like all I need is a big bowl of broccoli, and that's I think the feeling that a lot of us have in uh, in January. But we don't necessarily only want to eat a big bowl of broccoli. So how nice would it be to have like a beautiful Brussels sprout stir fry uh, with good chili spice in there, or um, or take another look at beets and like put them in this gorgeous salad. You know, you want texture, you want big, bold flavors. I mean, I'm just a nut for curried flavors, for chili, for garlic. All those things pull you along, and they're all part of eating a really nicely rounded uh, diet. So how does it work? Do you, you provide recipes for every day for two weeks, or break it, break it down the, the nitty-gritty for us? Yes, we'll have breakfast, lunch, dinner, and snack ideas for two weeks. And um, full recipes for those things. But, you know, like snack, we like you to be able to have a little adapt it to your own lifestyle. So, But, you know, we have an idea for you for a healthy snack every afternoon. And this is something you can access at bonappetit.com slash cleanse. And you can access all of these recipes day by day by day. All these recipes day by day by day. And then there's a shopping list for you. We'll have a PDF that will be all the recipes in sequence, so you can print it out if you want to just... What I sometimes do is I print it out, and as I go through the days, I just check off each recipe <laughs> as I've gone through. And uh, that's sort of a satisfying way to like feel like you're progressing through the two weeks. And, um, and so you have really everything you need. And then this year, we've really tried to provide a few options for... Bigger batch um, preparations of uh, of ingredients that will then go into more than one different dish. So we do a big show you how to do a big batch of oven steamed beets, and then that go, can go into a soup one day and into a salad another day. You have some great pointers in the issue this uh, in the January issue of Bon Appetit, and you talk about yeah cooking in big batches. Um, shock big that, you know, you, you might be shocked by what the bill is on that initial first shot. But if you go out and get everything you're going to need, the cleanse becomes a lot easier if you have all those staples in your pantry. Yeah. I mean, even both the cleanse, if you're doing it to the letter, and even just if you're just trying to eat better at home, if you have those things in your pantry ready to go, it's so much easier to make a good choice about a meal rather than getting another night of Chinese takeout or something like that, which of course is delicious and a fun thing to do. But just it's nice to have that other option in your pantry ready to go. So both in terms of the practical, the sort of the cleanse written small these two weeks, it's helpful to have that kind of preparation in mind. But I think in general, if you're trying to eat a little better, if you have a big if you come home from the grocery store and you've washed up some, you know, beautiful young arugula or something like that, and you have it in your um, in your drawer, you're just more likely to make yourself a salad when you want one. What are some pantry staples that you should invest in for the for the cleanse? Well, I'm always a nut for beans um, of all kinds and and garbanzos. I think we have uh, we definitely have a white bean. A salad with caramelized onions that's so good, like a warm salad that's so good. We know uh, people love quinoa, and I love quinoa, that beautiful nutty taste of quinoa, that that's a great thing to have on on hand. And then, like, delicious flavor boosters, like miso, which just can round out any dish and make you feel like you're just eating something super savory. Yeah, I will, full disclosure, We, we I, I often sneak down to the Bon Appetit test kitchen around 3 p.m., uh, when I'm feeling a little peckish. And for the last several weeks, we've been testing a lot of uh, Food Lover Cleanse 
recipes because you are doing a Food Lovers Cleanse book for next year, correct? Yes, I'm terribly excited about that and so glad to be working with you on that. That's going to be out January 2016 or end of 2015? Officially January 2016, but I think that means usually the book is available for holiday shopping time. But what I love about the recipes that are down there, and and maybe you can mention a few if you have any favorites, you know, yeah, they they feel healthy-ish, but they don't feel like I'm being denied anything. Um, You know, they have that flavor from whether it's from gochujang or fish sauce or miso. There are those elements or, or chilies that sort of add kick and punch. Um, but it's not that laden with fat and butter and, and heaviness. Right. We really like to find a balance. And like one of my favorite um, recipes that will be in the book is is like a chicken in a pot, a French classic, you know, where you just poach a chicken in a, a, a pot. And really the main difference we made was we just upped the number of vegetables in that in that recipe, which is already a pretty wholesome recipe. You add some more vegetables, you get a little more fiber, you get a little more variety of vitamins, uh, if you're looking at it that way. And then you're still having this wonderful, brothy, warm dish that tastes so good in the middle of the winter. In general, when you're doing this cleanse, are you conscious about not stuffing yourself like you might other times of the year where you're saying, I'm just going to have another slice of pizza, or I'm going to have some more bread, or I'm going to have some more of this or that. I mean, are, are you are you aware that you're always a little bit lighter on your feet? You know, I am. I think I do stop more consciously when I'm doing the cleanse. And I also, um, you know, the thing I don't do, which I think so many of us in the food industry do, is I don't graze all day. So I find that the most radical change for me is less actually the, the, the content of the meals, uh, than the fact that I'm just pacing my meals. You're just being more sensible and more conscious of it. You, a couple of guidelines, do's and don'ts. You say alcohol. Do not have more than four drinks per week, but having a, a, a glass of wine now and then is okay? Yeah. So I designed the plan and with Marissa Lippert, who's a wonderful nutritionist and also owner of uh, a great little uh, restaurant down in uh, the West Village called Nourish Kitchen and Table. And she's a lover of food, too. She loves to go out to eat. And she's not one of these people who sort of thinks that you should abstain from every pleasure in the world. As we put the, the plan together, we said, hey, we want to. you don't want to feel isolated when you're being conscious about what you're eating. We want you to be able to enjoy the company of friends. And if your friends are toasting, you know, a a birthday or you're just going out on Friday and you want to enjoy a toast with your friends, we didn't want to deny anyone that pleasure. But at the same time, you don't want to just be doing the thing that so many of, or I shouldn't speak for everyone else. I know I tend to when, you know, once a bottle's open, I, I lose track of how much I'm drinking. So, so we said, okay, here's a, here's a very reasonable limit and you can drink up to four drinks a week. Um, preferably not in the same night, but, <laughs> uh, and, and that you can do that. Now, the truth is, is for me, I find that I'm fine with not drinking for a couple of weeks and then, and then, uh, gradually getting back into it. Um, you also say dairy, get rid of it aside from yogurt and cheese, give your digestive system a break. It can make you feel a little heavier in your digestion and stuff like that. And, and I think the cultured dairy, as I'm, I'm really interested as, as, a, as an eater and also as someone interested in health, I'm really interested in maximizing the benefits of what you're eating. So if you're going to be eating dairy, why not be introducing really healthy live cultures into your system? 
One more tip that I love um, that you mentioned in the new issue. If you're going to embark on the cleanse, find a buddy. Explain that. Well, like I said earlier, I just think it's so important to have some context for the way you're eating. And then if if you're just sort of squirreling away and dieting in the corner, it's just it, you're not going to want to do that. You're not going to want to continue with that in the future. So if you're if you're working with your friends, though, suddenly you're influencing each other. You're having fun. You're trading off some of the work of the cooking um, of, of this pro- program, and it just makes it so much better. I have a dear friend named Curtis who loved, we, we share dinners once or twice a week. Our families get together. And, you know, every now and then he'll cook the dinner for me during the cleanse, and, of course, I invite him over. And it just makes it more fun. It, takes, it gives you a night off, and uh, I can't recommend it enough. And I also think the virtual buddies of, uh, that you have um, online are also really important. They make you feel like pushing forward and continuing through. Yeah, I think it's it's motivation. It's also creative inspiration. Someone might come up with a good idea how to make a certain dish better or enliven it or add a little this or a little that. Um, and you can kind of steal from each other. I love this food because it's food that I refer to as healthy-ish food. I do not think of it as health food. It's good ingredients. It's well-prepared. It's packed with flavor. Um, you know, you don't feel like you're on a diet. You just feel like you're eating well and you feel better. And I, I think that's what we're after in these two weeks after New Year's, correct? Right. And, and, and the thing that I most dearly hope is that uh, after doing this program, you come out of it with a few recipes that just can enter your regular repertoire of how you feed your family. And that means that, because, um, you know, these two weeks alone won't change your health over overall. But if they set you into patterns that you then pick up for, you know, once a week or twice a week uh, for the rest of your year, then you're really in good shape. And really, you know, you can get into some really nice new patterns that can be helpful uh, and and stay with you throughout the year. So my biggest hope is that people take home a few recipes that they just love and, and keep coming back to. Well, I have I have no doubt they will. It's a great way to start the year, and you can check it out at bonappetit.com slash cleanse. Thank you, Sarah Dickerman, creator of the fifth annual Bon Appetit Food Lovers Cleanse. Thanks for talking to us, Sarah. Thank you so much, Adam, and Happy New Year. You too. All right, that was the third episode of the Bon Appetit podcast. You can find all the recipes we spoke about today at bonappetit.com. All you got to do is have a healthy, happy new year. Oh, God.